Chapter Two of the Legends of Genesis by Hermann Gunkel, translated by W. H. Karl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two: The Varieties of Legends in Genesis. In the great mass of our materials, two groups are distinctly recognizable: one, the legends of the origin of the world and of the progenitors of the human race the stories down to the tower of babel their locality being remote and their sphere of interest the whole world two the legends of the patriarchs of israel abraham isaac and jacob and the latter sons the locality and the sphere of interest being canaan and adjacent lands even in their character the two groups are most plainly distinguished the narratives of the first group speak of god in a way different from that of the legends of the patriarchs in the latter the divinity appears always enveloped in mystery unrecognized or speaking out of heaven or perhaps only in a dream in the earlier legends on the contrary god walks intimately among men and no one marvels at it in the legend of paradise men dwell in god's house it is assumed that he is in the habit of visiting them every evening he even closes the ark for noah and appears to him in person attracted by his sacrifice furthermore in the legends of the patriarchs the real actors are always men if the divinity appears it is regarded as an exception but in the primitive legends the divinity is the leading actor as in the creation or at least among those chiefly concerned as in the story of paradise of the union of men and of angels of the deluge and the tower of babel this distinction is to be sure only relative for some of the legends of the patriarchs notably those connected with hebron and penuel represent the divinity as appearing in some way on the other hand the story of cain and abel and that of the cursing of canaan in which human beings are the chief actors are among the primitive legends however the distinction applies on the whole to the two groups this prominence of the action of the divinity in the primitive legends indicates that these have a more decidedly mythical character that they are faded myths some legends are faded myths myths let no one shrink from the word are stories of the gods in contradistinction to the legends in which the actors are men stories of the gods are in all nations the oldest narratives the legend as a literary variety has its origin in myths accordingly when we find that these primitive legends are akin to myths we must infer that they have come down to us in comparatively ancient form they come from a period of israel's history when the childlike belief of the people had not yet fully arrived at the conception of a divinity whose operations are shrouded in mystery on the other hand these original myths have reached us in comparatively faded colors this we can perceive in the narratives themselves where we are able in some points to reconstruct an older form of the story than the one transmitted to us notably genesis chapter six verses one through four is nothing but a torso we are led to similar conclusions when we compare the primitive legends with the allusions to the myths which we find in the poets and prophets of the old testament and the latter apocalyptic writers as for instance the myths of Yahweh's combat with rahab or leviathan of the fall of helal and so on the same result very clearly follows a comparison of the primitive legends of genesis with the myths of the orient especially of the biblical story of the creation and the deluge with the babylonian versions of the same subjects the colossal outlines the peculiarly brilliant colors which characterize these myths in the original form are lost 
in a measure in the biblical legends of the beginnings of things the equivalence of the divine beings and the objects or realms of nature the combat of the gods with one another the birth of the gods are some of the features which have disappeared in the version of genesis monotheism hostile to myths in all this we can see the essential character of the religion of israel the fundamental trait of the religion of Yahweh is unfavorable to myths for this religion from its very beginning tends toward monotheism but for a story of the gods at least two gods are essential therefore the israel which we observe in the old testament could not tolerate genuine and unmodified myths at least not in prose the poet was excused for occasional allusions to myths hence in poetry we find preserved traces of a point of view older than that of the tradition of genesis one frankly familiar with myths but the primitive legends preserved to us are all dominated by this unspoken aversion to mythology the monotheism of israel tolerates only those myths that represent god as acting alone as in the story of the creation and even there is no real story where action and counteraction give rise to a new situation or action or at the most the story deals with action between god and men where however men are too weak in the true israelitish conception to be worthy rivals of god to produce in their clash with god a real epic action as soon as god intervenes all is decided if in such a case a story is to be told men must perform their part first this is the method of the legends of paradise and of the tower of babel with the story of the deluge it is different god taking part from the beginning but as a result of this the continued interest of the hearer is not maintained furthermore it should be noted that the legends preserved to us with mythical elements are much less numerous than the legends of the patriarchs in which this element is absent this fact also may fairly be regarded as a result of the israelitish aversion to mythology the significance of myths it is not proposed to present here a theory of the origin and primitive significance of myths only a few observations may be permitted a certain series of myths may be interpreted on the assumption that some natural phenomenon that is wont to occur frequently or regularly in the actual world has furnished the colors for the painting of one similar but gigantic phenomenon in primitive times thus the creation of the world is painted as spring on a grand scale and the overflows of the rivers of mesopotamia gave rise to the story of the deluge many myths attempt to answer questions being intended to give instruction this is the case with the primitive legends of genesis the story of creation raises the question whence come heaven and earth and at the same time why is the sabbath sacred the story of paradise treats the question whence are man's reasons and his morality and along with this whence are man's body and mind whence his language whence the love of the sexes whence does it come that woman brings forth with so much pain that man must till the stubborn field that the serpent goes upon its belly and so on the legend of babel asks the question whence is the variety of nations in language and location the answers to these questions constitute the real content of the respective legends in the case of the legend of the deluge this is different but there is an etiological or explanatory feature at the close why is there never such a flood again and what is the meaning of the rainbow all these questions interest 
not israel alone but the whole world we know that ancient israel in general was not inclined to philosophic speculation but that it always took most interest in immediate and israelitish affairs but here is a place in which the ancient race is able to treat universal human problems the profoundest questions of mankind this they have done in unique fashion in the stories of the creation and of eden these are the beginnings of theology and of philosophy it is no wonder that especial emphasis has been laid upon these features and that every generation since genesis has been known has read into it its own deepest thoughts the legends of the patriarchs the primitive legends are followed in genesis by the legends of the patriarchs the distinctive feature of these legends is that they tell of the progenitors of races especially of israel at the foundation of these legends lies the theory that all races israel included have come in each case from the family of a single ancestor which gradually expanded this theory is not supported by observed facts for no human eye observes the origin of races on the contrary it is the remnant of a primitive poetic conception of tribal life in earliest times the individual man counts for little there is much more interest in the destinies of the race the tribe the nation are regarded as real entities much more than at the present day thus it comes that the destinies of the race are regarded as being the destinies of a person the race sighs triumphs is dejected rebels dies comes to life again etc thus too the relations of races are regarded as the relations of individuals two races it is said are brothers that is are closely related and equal if one of them is regarded as richer stronger or nobler it is said to be the first-born brother or it comes of a better mother while the other is younger or comes from a concubine israel being divided into twelve tribes we are told that the tribal ancestor of israel had twelve sons some of these tribes having a closer union with one another they are said to come from one mother the relation of mother and son exists between hagar and ishmael the more distant relation of uncle and nephew between abraham and lot originally these persons were the tribes themselves this method of expression is still entirely current later in the pathetic poetry of the prophets edom builds his nest on high moab dies to the sound of trumpets asher falls upon israel like a lion upon his prey jerusalem and samaria are two unchaste sisters edom has treated his brother israel with enmity etc such personifications must have been very familiar to the earliest ages but as the world became more prosaic and these expressions were no longer understood in the simple narrative the question was asked who these persons jacob judah simeon really were and the answer given that they were the patriarchs and the latter races and tribes their sons an answer which seems to be a matter of course since it was customary to refer to the individual israelites and ammonites as sons of israel and sons of ammon patriarchs represent tribes we are not putting a new meaning into the legends which treat of such race individuals when we regard their heroes ishmael jacob esau and others as tribes and try to interpret the stories about them as tribal events we are simply getting at their meaning as it was understood in primitive times in israel on the other hand we must go about this attempt with caution 
for we must reckon with the possibility that some of these figures do not originally represent tribes but only came to be regarded as patriarchs in a later time and further after the figures of the patriarchs had once become established as the heroes of epic legends that legends of other sorts and wanting the basis of tribal history became attached to these we may certainly regard as personifications of tribes those figures whose names are known to us in other connections as names of tribes such are notably ishmael ammon moab the twelve tribes and their divisions sometimes it is perfectly evident from the narratives themselves that we have to do with tribes as in the case of cain and abel jacob and esau ham and japhet accordingly many of the narratives treating such ancestors are originally the experiences of races or tribes once in ancient times so we may assume there were conflicts over wells between the citizens of gerar and the neighboring bedouins ending in a compromise at beersheba the legend depicts these affairs as a war and a treaty between abimelech king of gerar and the patriarchs called in the legend abraham or isaac chapter twenty one verses twenty two and following and verse twenty six dinah the daughter of jacob is seduced by shechem and in punishment shechem is treacherously assaulted by dinah's brothers jacob however abjures the brothers and curses them the history at the bottom of this is probably as follows dinah an israelitish family is overpowered by the canaanitish city of shechem and then treacherously avenged by simeon and levi the most closely related tribes but the other tribes of israel renounce them and allow the two tribes to be destroyed the legend of tamar also depicts in part early relations in the tribe of judah judah allied itself with canaanites in the legend hira of abdulam and judah's wife bethshua a number of judean canaanitish tribes er and onan perished early finally two new tribes arose perez and zerah in the esau jacob legend also there are quite evidently historical reminiscences esau and jacob are brother tribes esau a tribe of hunters jacob a tribe of shepherds esau is the elder but by sale or fraud he loses his birthright that is the older and better known tribe of esau was compelled to give way to the latter and originally weaker tribe of jacob and has now the poorer land a similar rivalry is assumed by the legend between the judean tribes of perez and zerah and between ephraim and manasseh reuben the firstborn among the israelitish tribes loses his birthright on account of sin the tribe of reuben which was the leading tribe in the earliest times afterwards forfeited this position cain the husbandman slew his brother abel the herdsman but was compelled to leave the land which they had before occupied in common shem japhet and canaan were originally brothers but japhet has now a much more extensive territory than the others and canaan is the servant of both we hear of many migrations from the north abraham migrates to canaan after him rebekah to marry isaac and finally comes jacob the initial point of the migration is given as ur kasdim and haran the city of nahor in the legend of joseph there is described a migration of israelitish tribes to egypt the account of the trip of abraham to egypt has a similar basis now it is in the nature of legend that we do not catch sight of these old occurrences clearly by its means 
but only as through a mist legend has woven a poetic veil about the historical memories and hidden their outlines in most cases the time of the event is not to be derived from the legend itself often even the place is not to be distinguished and sometimes not even the personality of the actor who can tell what race it was that came to canaan from aram naharajim where the real home of jacob and esau was of cain and abel of shem and japhet the legend has forgotten what tribes parted at bethel in case there is any historical basis to the legend of the separation of lot and abraham and so although the things of the past are hidden rather than revealed in these legends he would be a barbarian who would despise them on this account for often they are more valuable than would be prosaic reports of actual occurrences for instance if we had good historical data regarding ishmael we should not value them highly for this wild ass rendered little service to mankind but as it is touched by the hand of poetry he is immortal in these legends the clearest matter is the character of races here is esau the huntsman of the steppes living with little reflection from hand to mouth forgetful magnanimous brave and hairy as a goat and there is jacob the herdsman a smooth man more cunning and accustomed to look into the future his uncle laban is the type of the armenian avaricious and deceitful but to outward appearances an excellent and upright man never at loss for an excuse a more noble figure is abraham hospitable peaceful a model of piety moreover it is clear to us in many cases in what spirit the incidents are regarded we perceive most easily how the legend despises the unchastity of canaan how it mocks at esau and laban how it rejoices that lot with all his avarice obtained after all the worst land etc antiquity of the legends these legends have not hitherto received full justice even when it has been recognized that they are legends even the most superficial reader can distinguish for himself the chief original sources in genesis from which the present redaction was constructed now commonly called the writings of the elohist of the yahvist and of the priestly code since the sources of the elohist and the yahvist were written down in the ninth or eighth century b c some commentators have been disposed to think that the legends themselves originated in the main in the age of the israelitish kingdom and furnished therefore no revelations of primitive history but in reality these legends are much older the tribal and race names which they preserve are almost all forgotten in other records we know nothing of shem ham and japhet of abel and cain of esau and jacob nothing of hagar and scarcely anything of ishmael from the historical records of israel hence we must conclude that these races all belong to prehistoric times this is particularly evident in the case of jacob and esau who were to be sure identified later with israel and edom but this very lapping of names as well as many features of the legend which are not applicable to israel and edom as for instance the treaties between the city of gerar and the sons of abraham or isaac concerning the possession of certain wells especially that of beersheba show us that the old narrative originally had in mind entirely different races in the legend jacob is not disposed to war in history israel conquered edom in war 
in the legend esau is stupid in history he is famous for his wisdom another proof of the age of these tribal legends may be found in the history of the legend of israel the legends in the book of judges have ceased to speak of tribes as persons excepting judges chapter one but they tell of heroes of individual leaders of the tribes the latest story that preserves the old style and to which an historical date can be assigned is the legend of the capture of shechem the dinah legend of genesis sometime in the earlier portion of the period of judges then this naive style of narrative disappeared so far as we can ascertain from that time on such narratives are merely transmitted but no longer constructed new classification of legends we call these legends historical when they reflect historical occurrences ethnographic when they contain chiefly descriptions of race and tribal relations thus we characterize the legend of the treaty of beersheba and the various legends of migrations as historical but those of jacob and esau as ethnographic etiological legends alongside these narratives of genesis are also etiological legends that is those that are written for a purpose or to explain something there is no end of the questions which interest a primitive people the instinct for asking questions is innate in man he wants to know of the origin of things the child looks into the world with wide eyes and asks why the answer which the child gives itself and with which it is for the time satisfied is perhaps very childish and hence incorrect and yet if it is a bright child the answer is interesting and touching even for the grown man in the same way a primitive people asks similar questions and answers them as best it can these questions are usually the same that we ourselves are asking and trying to answer in our scientific researches hence what we find in these legends are the beginnings of human science only humble beginnings of course and yet venerable to us because they are beginnings and at the same time peculiarly attractive and touching for in these answers ancient israel has uttered its most intimate feelings clothing them in a bright garb of poetry some of these questions are the following ethnological legends there is a desire to know the reasons for the relations of tribes why is canaan the servant of his brethren why has japhet such an extended territory why do the children of lot dwell in the inhospitable east how does it come that reuben has lost his birthright why must cain wander about a restless fugitive why is sevenfold revenge proclaimed against the slayer of cain why is gilead the border between israel and the arameans why does beersheba belong to us and not to the people of gerar why is shechem in possession of joseph why have we a right to the holy places at shechem and machpelah why has ishmael become a bedouin people with just this territory and this god how does it come that the egyptian peasants have to bear the heavy tax of the fifth while the fields of the priests are exempt and with especial frequency the question was asked how does israel come to have this glorious land of canaan the legends tell in many variations how it came about that the patriarchs received this particular land god gave it to abraham because of his obedience when on the occasion of the separation at bethel lot chose the east the west fell to abraham 
Jacob obtained the blessing of the better country from Isaac by a deception. God promised it to Jacob at Bethel, and so on. Such ethnological legends, which tell a fictitious story in order to explain tribal relations, are of course very different to distinguish from historical legends which contain the remnant of a tradition of some actual event. Very commonly, ethnological and ethnographic features are combined in the same legend. The relations underlying the story are historical, but the way in which they are explained is poetic. The usual nature of the answer given to these questions by our legends is that the present relations are due to some transaction of the patriarchs. The tribal ancestor bought the holy place, and accordingly it belongs to us, his heirs. The ancestors of Israel and Aram established Gilead as their mutual boundary. Cain's ancestor was condemned to perpetual wandering by the word of God, and so on. A favorite way is to find the explanation in a miraculous utterance of God, or some of the patriarchs, and the legend has to tell how this miraculous utterance came to be made in olden times. And this sort of explanation was regarded as completely satisfactory, so that there came to be, later, a distinct literary variety of charm or blessing. Childish as these explanations now seem to us, and impossible as it was for the men of old to find out the true reasons of such things, yet we must not overlook the profundity of many of these poetic legends. They are all based on the assumption that the tribal and national relations of that day were not due to chance, but that they were all the results of events of the primitive world, that they were in a way predestined. In these legends we have the first rudiments of a philosophy of history. Etymological Legends Along with the above, we find etymological legends, or features of legends, as it were, beginnings of the science of language. Ancient Israel spent much thought upon the origin and the real meaning of the names of races, mountains, wells, sanctuaries, and cities. To them, names were not so unimportant as to us, for they were convinced that names were somehow closely related to the things. It was quite impossible, in many cases, for the ancient people to give the correct explanation. For names were, with Israel as with other nations, among the most ancient possessions of the people, coming down from extinct races or from faraway stages of the national language. Many of our current names, such as Rhine, Moselle, Neckar, Harz, Berlin, London, Thames, Zane, etc., are equally unintelligible to those not trained in philology. It is probable that the very fact of the oddity and unintelligibility of these names attracted the attention of the ancient race. Early Israel, as a matter of course, explains such names without any scientific spirit, and wholly on the basis of the language as it stood. It identifies the old name with a modern one, which sounds more or less like it and proceeds to tell a little story explaining why this particular word was uttered under these circumstances and was adopted as the name. We too have our popular etymologies. How many there are who believe that the noble river which runs down between New Hampshire and Vermont and across Massachusetts and Connecticut is so named because it connects the first two and cuts the latter two states. Manhattan Island, it is said, was named from the exclamation of a savage who was struck by the size of a Dutch hat worn by an early burgher. Manhattan! Many are the stories told to explain why a famous London highway is called 
rotten row the lombards we are told by another legend were originally called vinili but on an occasion the women of the tribe put on beards as a disguise and vodan looking out of his window in the morning exclaimed what are those long beards the famous thuringian castle the wartburg is said to have derived its name from the fact that the landgrave having strayed thither during a hunt exclaimed wartburg dulsost mir einburg werden wait mountain thou shalt become my fortress similar legends are numerous in genesis and in later works the city of babel is named from the fact that god there confused human tongues baal chapter eleven verse nine jacob is interpreted as a heel holder because at birth he held his brother whom he robbed of the birthright by the heel chapter twenty five verse twenty six zoar means trifle because lot said appealingly it is only a trifle chapter nineteen verses twenty and twenty two beersheba is the well of seven because abraham there gave abimelech seven lambs chapter twenty one verse twenty eight and following isaac or yishak is said to have his name from the fact that his mother laughed or shahak when his birth was foretold to her chapter eighteen verse twelve and so forth in order to realize the utter naivete of most of these interpretations consider that the hebrew legend calmly explains the babylonian name babel from the hebrew vocabulary and that the writers are often satisfied with merely approximate similarities of sounds for instance cain more exactly kahin from kaniti i have murdered chapter six verse one reuben from rahbeonhi he hath regarded my misery chapter twenty nine verse thirty two etc every student of hebrew knows that these are not satisfactory etymologies investigators have not always fully perceived the naive character of this theory of etymology but have allowed themselves to be misled into patching up some very unsatisfactory etymologies with modern appliances in one case many theologians even are wont to declare one of these explanations a very ingenious one indeed yahweh i am that i am exodus chapter three verse fourteen as an established etymology but etymologies are not acquired by revelation the etymological legends are especially valuable to us because they are especially clear illustrations of the etiological variety of legend ceremonial legends more important than these etymological legends are those whose purpose is to explain the regulations of religious ceremonials such ceremonial regulations play a great part in the life of primitive races but many of these customs had become in part or altogether unintelligible to the one who observed them in the earliest times of which we have authentic record for customs are far more persistent than opinions and religious customs are particularly conservative and even we whose religious service has undergone a vigorous purging in the reformation and again at the hands of rationalism see and hear in our churches many things which we understand only in part or not at all ancient israel reflected deeply upon the origin of these religious practices and if the grown people became too blunted by custom to be able to perceive the strange and unintelligible features of the custom they were roused from their indifference by the questions of the children when the children see their father perform all sorts of curious customs 
during the feast of the passover they will ask thus it is expressly told exodus chapter 12 verse 26 chapter 13 verse 14 what does this mean and then the story of the passover is to be told them a similar direction is given with relation to the twelve stones in the jordan joshua chapter four verse six which the father is to explain to the children as memorials of the passage of the jordan in these examples then we see clearly how such a legend is the answer to a question similarly questions are asked with regard to the origin of circumcision and of the sabbath why do we not eat the muscle of the thigh why do they anoint the holy stone of bethel and deliver the tithes there why do we not sacrifice a child at jeruel as Yahva commands but in its stead a ram genesis chapter 22 why do our people limp that is perform a certain dance at the festival of penuel chapter 32 verse 32 no israelite could have given the real reason for all these things for they were too old but to relieve this embarrassment myth and legend step in they tell a story and explain the sacred custom long ago an event occurred from which this ceremony very naturally sprang and we perform the ceremony representing the event in commemoration of it but this story that explains the custom is always laid in primitive times thus the ancient race gives the entirely correct impression that the customs of their religious service originated in the immemorial past the trees of shechem and hebron are older than abraham we perform the rite of circumcision in memory of moses whose firstborn was circumcised as a redemption for moses whose blood god demanded exodus chapter 4 verse 24 and following we rest on the seventh day because god at the creation of the world rested on the seventh day a myth because god himself is the actor in it the muscle of the thigh is sacred to us because god struck jacob on this muscle while wrestling with him at penuel chapter thirty two verse thirty three the stone at bethel was first anointed by jacob because it was his pillow in the night when god appeared to him chapter twenty eight verse eleven and following at jeruel this is the name of the scene of the sacrifice of isaac chapter twenty two verses one through nineteen god at first demanded of abraham this child but afterward accepted a ram we limp at penuel in imitation of jacob who limped there when his hip was lamed in the wrestling with god chapter thirty two verse thirty two and so on in all this matter we are constantly hearing of certain definite places such as bethel penuel shechem beersheba lacharoi jeruel etc and of the trees wells and stone monuments at these places these are the primitive sanctuaries of the tribes and families of israel primitive times felt that there was some immediate manifestation of the nature of the divinity in these monuments but a later time which no longer regarded the connection as so clear and so self-evident raised the question why is this particular place and this sacred memorial so especially sacred the regular answer to this question was because in this place the divinity appeared to our ancestor in commemoration of this theophany we worship god in this place now in the history of religion it is of great significance that the ceremonial legend comes from a time when religious feeling no longer perceived as self-evident the divinity of the locality and the natural monument 
and had forgotten the significance of the sacred ceremony accordingly the legend has to supply an explanation as to how it came about that the god and the tribal ancestor met in this particular place abraham happened to be sitting under the tree in the noonday heat just as the men appeared to him and for this reason the tree is sacred chapter nineteen verse one and following the well in the desert lacha roy became the sanctuary of ishmael because his mother in her flight into the desert met at this well the god who comforted her chapter sixteen verse seven and following jacob happened to be passing the night in a certain place and resting his head upon a stone when he saw the heavenly ladder therefore this stone is our sanctuary chapter twenty eight verse ten and following moses chanced to come with his flocks to the holy mountain and the thorn bush exodus chapter three verse one and following probably every one of the greater sanctuaries of israel had some similar legend of its origin we can easily imagine that any such legend of a sanctuary was originally told on the occasion of the festival concerned and on the original spot just as the feast of the passover and the legend of the exodus the feast of purim and the legend of esther the babylonian easter festival and the babylonian hymn of creation belong together and as with us christmas and easter are not to be thought of without their stories these ceremonial legends are so valuable to us because we discover from them what were the sacred places and customs of israel and at the same time they give us a very vivid realization of ancient religious feeling they are our chief sources of information regarding the oldest religion of israel genesis is full of them and but few are found in the later books almost everywhere in genesis where a certain place is named and at least wherever god appears at a definite place it is based on such a legend in these legends we have the beginning of the history of religion geological and other legends aside from the foregoing we may distinguish a number of other sorts of legends of which at least the geological deserves mention such geological legends undertake to explain the origin of a locality whence comes the dead sea with its dreadful desert the region was cursed by god on account of the terrible sin of its inhabitants whence comes the pillar of salt yonder with its resemblance to a woman that is a woman lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt in punishment for attempting to spy out the mystery of god chapter nineteen verse twenty six but whence does it come that the bit of territory about zoar is an exception to the general desolation because Yahweh spared it as a refuge for lot chapter nineteen verses seventeen through twenty two all these etiological legends then are remote from the standards of the modern sciences to which they correspond we regard them with the emotion with which a man looks back upon his childhood but even for our science they have a great value for they furnish us in their descriptions or implications of definite conditions the most important material for the knowledge of the ancient world mixed legends very frequently various types of legend are combined in one the flight of hagar chapter sixteen is to be called ethnographic because it depicts the life of ishmael ethnologic because it undertakes to explain these conditions in one feature it is allied to the ceremonial legends its explanation of the sacredness of lacharoi furthermore it has etymological elements in its interpretation of the names 
Laha Roy, and Ishmael. The legend of paradise treats all at once a number of questions. The legend of Bethel explains at once the worship at Bethel and the name of the place. The legends of Beersheba, chapters 21, 22, and 26, contain remnants of history, telling of a tribal treaty established there, and at the same time certain religious features, as the explanation of the sanctity of the place, and finally some etymological elements. The legend of Penuel explains the sanctity of the place, the ceremony of limping, and the names Penuel and Israel, and so on. Etymological elements, it may be noted, never appear alone in Genesis, but always in connection with other features. Origin of the Legends In many cases, the origin of the legends will have been revealed with what has already been considered. Thus, in most etymological legends, it can be shown quite clearly that those features in the legend which explain the name were invented for this very purpose. The incident of Abraham's giving Abimelech seven, or Sheba, lambs at Beersheba, chapter 21, verse 28 and following, was surely invented to explain this name. Also the laughing, Sahak, of Isaac's mother, chapter 18, verses 12 through 15, etc. The narrative of Judah, Er, Onan, chapter 38, and the others is plainly nothing but a history of the Israelite families, just as the legend of Dinah, chapter 34, is merely a reflection of the attack upon Shechem. But on the other hand, the investigator is to be warned not to be too quick to jump to the conclusion that he always has the origin of the legend in this oldest interpretation attainable by us. On the contrary, we have to reckon with the possibility that the features of the story which are intelligible to us were injected into it later, and that the legend itself is older than any meaning we can see in it. Finally, there are legends which cannot be classified under any of the heads given above. Of such are large portions of the legend of Joseph, also the chief feature of the story of Jacob and Laban. The deceits and tricks cannot be understood from the standpoint of either history or etiology. The preceding classification of legends is based, of course, upon the chief or dominant features. Along with these go the purely ornamental or aesthetic features, twining about the others like vines over their trellises. The art of these legends is revealed especially in this portrayal of the subject matter given. End of chapter 2